0: Pastor Sonia, I'm one of the pastors on the preaching team here at Catalyst, and I will be preaching this morning. I'm the type of person that loves stories. I want to hear stories, and I want to be a listener. My son is different, and I have to find ways to communicate with him. I found out that through music, he's more willing to listen about the past if he hears it in a song than just me sitting him down and giving a history lesson. Sometimes we'll listen to music that addresses an issue or expresses a feeling. Music is one way people from different generations can connect with one another. What's your favorite song? Is there a throwback song that you love to listen to? Does this song bring back bring you back to a place um, certain time or memory? Certain songs have become a statement that represents a specific generation. These songs usually are inspired by being countercultural and have a rebellious attitude. These songs may call out the political, social, and financial landscape. It may have an empowering message of how the right to rise up over political, social, and financial injustices and oppression. Even to break generational curses and trauma. There's Credence Clearwater's Revival, CCR, song, Fortunate Son, that was released in 1969, that spoke of the hypocrisy of the privileged and wealthy, sending others less fortunate off to war. There's a song, A Change is Going to Come, by Sam Cooke, that speaks of racial segregation. This song was used for the Civil Rights Movement. Songs can connect people in the midst of oppression and can be used, can be powerful to unite and inspire. Music has a way of creating a multi-generational connection. It's like a flashback. Today, we'll see how looking back can help us to discern how to go forward. Retrospection can help us learn how God connects with the current generation and what is planned for the generation yet to come. God provides various lens to discern by so in turn we return back to become so in turn we return back to become what we were intended to be as God's people God's way of connecting is allowing us to be who we are God allows us to express our joys and frustrations God hears the songs that we sing and shout it could be Rebellious music and feeling like an outcast of punk music. It could be the longing of a calmer life and being outdoors riding a horse in country music. It could be a soulful rhythm and blues music that the black community created in times of segregation. Their music helps strengthen their community and identity. God wants us to listen to the oldies, the classics. When we hear the stories, the songs from past generations, we are brought into God's story. Listening to and learning from the past generations help us discern the way forward as God's people. On that note, I want to invite you to sing with us. Nathan is going to lead us in songs of God's people. Let's stand and sing together. We're in the season of infamy, a season when we ask what it means that Jesus is for the whole world. We are Jesus' church, but Jesus isn't just for us, He is for the whole world. So, what's our role in Jesus' mission? This year, our series is called Spark. We're exploring the ways Jesus ignites our calling. What does it take to be the church Jesus calls us to be? It might seem counterintuitive, but to answer those questions, we're going to be spending time with the prophets of the Hebrew Bible for this series. Men who lived out God's calling among God's people. Because the God who created and cared for this special people thousands of years ago is the same God who arrived in the person of Jesus that first Christmas and is the same God who gathered us for worship today. We met we met Isaiah's servant, that ideal human who perfectly embodies God's call on us. We saw that God calls us to be faithful, not effective. And we saw how the servant stands with the marginalized because that's where God is. For the next several weeks, we explored the relationship between religious practices and how we love our neighbor. Today, we'll learn how God connects with the current generation and what is planned for the generations yet to come. We'll hear from God's messenger, Moses, who tells the people of Israel to rechoose life so their wandering can end. God's people are in exile after being freed from the bonds of Pharaoh's rule. The book of Deuteronomy is written after God's people have returned from the Babylonian exile. In both times, God's people must reimagine life away from bondage, hardship, and death. Today, God calls us to reimagine our current context of the world. How would it feel to be free from the bondages of economic, social, and political inequality? What does it look like when we choose life that is in sync with a God who is gracious and loving? Turn with us to Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy is set at the end of a 40-year period. God's people spent living as nomads in the wilderness It's a speech their leader Moses gave, a speech that remembers what God's people have been through and reveals how they will continue on in the new land they are about to occupy. Moses acknowledges that God's people can be hard-hearted, choosing life away from God. Some of their sinful choices were creating and worshiping a golden calf, wanting to return back to captivity and constantly doubting God even after the miracles they've witnessed. The generation Moses is addressing in Deuteronomy 40 has been an exile wandering the desert for 40 years. They've grown up as nomads, but now they're about to enter a new reality, settling a land and becoming farmers. A new reality with new temptations, new obstacles. So Moses warns them, Now, listen, today I am giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. This language of now, listen, and today speaks of the present, the moment, right now. Sometimes it's difficult to make decisions on the spot. Think about when someone asks, What do you feel like eating? My son and I take forever, and sometimes we just have to go by asking rapid-fire questions to one another. Do you want to eat or cook out, or eat outs, eat outs? Chicken or burger or beef, beef, steak or burgers, burgers. Smitties or cosmos, cosmos. It's difficult sometimes to make a decision about food. Think about other decisions you have to make. That aren't based on making your tummy happy. Should I buy those shoes or pay my bills? Should we visit family over the holidays or go to Disney World? Should I take that job out of state or stay near family and friends? Do I help my neighbor or relax on my day off? Decisions can also affect people beyond your social group and communities. Do I vote to increase the school's budget for after-school programs? If I vote yes, my property tax increase a few dollars each month, and that will go towards school funding. If I say no, my property tax stays the same, and I maintain my budget. Deuteronomy 30 reminds us that God's people have always been torn between faithfulness and the lure of a wider culture. God has always invited them to turn their hearts back to God and repent from their disobedience. Moses reminds the people that they must make a choice of which they, which way they will go as they enter this new reality. Not only that, the next generation has to make a decision of where their future will go, either with God or not. It's not, give me a few hours to think about it. The current generation had 40 years to think about life and death while they were in the wilderness. The next generation knows the history of their people being freed from captivity and their disobedience, which resulted in them being in the desert instead of making it to the promised land. Will they make a different choice? Moses tells the people, Now, listen, today I am giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command You this day to love the Lord your God and keep His commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in His ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are about to enter and occupy. But if your hearts turn away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today, I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. The word of the Lord. You would think that it would be easy to choose life, prosperity, and blessings. You're telling me that all I have to do is love God, keep God's commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in His ways? Yes, I choose life. But what does it mean to choose life because we don't make that choice so easily? What type of life are we choosing or and what life are we supposed to be choosing? Walter Brueggemann explains, That life consists in loving Yahweh, which is a practice of holiness. That life consists, moreover, in loving neighbor, which is a practice of justice that grounds and promotes the entitlement of the neighbor, even at the cost and inconvenience to self." Love of God and holiness and love of neighbor and justice constitutes a life of relatedness that yields a sense of belonging in community and a gift of material prosperity in the land, End quote. So choosing and re-choosing life daily because of love for God and love for neighbor. Let's go back to music. Songs from various generations tells us what is going on around in the world. Songs speak up about social injustice like police brutality, discrimination, inequality, and oppression. There have been and there's current songs that literally speak about injustice in neighborhoods and between neighbors. These songs show how the lack of love of neighbor and the lack of justice has created division, oppression, and brokenness. Lack of love has been revealed from generation to generation. The BIPOC and LGBTQ plus community neighbors continually speak up about this and express what reality they're living and what they see the communities they are part of are going through. Maybe this is because previous generations are content with Pharaoh's brutal and oppressive systems. Maybe we're content with those oppressive systems as well. How can we choose a life that consists in loving God and loving neighbor so that a sense of solidarity, blessings, and hope returns to the community? Let's pause here and sing again. Our songs help us to celebrate God's values as a community, would you stand with me again as we sing? Choosing and re-choosing is difficult. We become hesitant. We're not sure if the risks are worth it. Maybe we have benefited from the current social, political, and economic economical policies, and we have too much to lose. Racism is still present in society. People of color still experience hate crimes and segregation. We see the lack of access to proper health care, food, and education in various communities. What we thought was over with has just been covered up and pushed aside. But on the other hand, we're not the ones crying out, we're not the ones suffering. Contentment and prosperity has caused us to forget the hardships. Choosing and re-choosing life daily with God puts us in the covenant to love God and love neighbor. Jesus was asked the question of all the commandments, which is the most important? We probably ask something similar. Which of Jesus' teaching is the most important? Jesus answers, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your souls and with all your minds and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. How do you know if you choose life? This doable act becomes a habit, and we develop, develop how we love God with all our heart and with all our minds. The doable act also includes us making a habit of loving our neighbor as ourself. Habits are basically a daily practice. How we live out and practice our faith should be noticeable where even future generations want to choose and re-choose life daily out of the love for God. NPR wrote, in an article titled "2020 Was a Year of Protest Music," describing 2020 as a year of social reckoning and how artists across styles and genres express rage, resolve, mourning, and solidarity. End "Quote: Maybe one day there will be no more songs created that speak about police brutality, inequality, oppression, war, and poverty." There won't be a need to write another Changes by Tupac Shakur, another This is America by Childish Gambino, or another Welcome to America by Lecrae. We won't need another song because we choose life and the next generation chooses life. To love God, to love neighbor. No longer will there be cries of injustice from violence, greed, oppression, and death. Love, mercy, solidarity, and compassion is shown to individuals, families, communities, nations, the whole world. At the end of his speech, Moses reiterates his and God's desire that God's people would choose to follow God's way of holy justice. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him and committing yourself firmly to Him. And this is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land The Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. How do we choose life over death? Music is an outlet of expression. It inspires and it could help us to think, but it's not a concrete way of addressing life and death realities. Forgetting and dismissing the hardships and wrongs of the past is not how to go forward. Deuteronomy narrates God's people's process of exile and coming out of exile. God tells us of how there's hope in the midst of pain, loss, and heartache. We learn from God's people to acknowledge, speak of it, and learn where God is calling humanity back to Him again and again. What God is calling the people of Israel to and what God is calling us to is something we've read and heard before. God does not want us to be part of a worldly political and economical life that is harmful to our neighbors. God calls us to an alternative society that is not predatory. It does not function on mass production and consumption. The element of life is based on what the world sees as impossible. God calls the people of Israel and us to reimagine what it means to be God's people and what it means for future generations. God reveals how life could look when res- restoration becomes part of life again. Deuteronomy 30 is Moses' appeal to each generation to choose and re-choose life with God. The realization is that God is faithful even if we are not faithful. God is good even if we are not good. God is loving even if we are not loving. God is the one who furthers our hope to make it to the promised land. Uh,
1: Friends, Sonia mentioned... Uh, early in the message, that Deuteronomy was actually written uh, after the exile, when the Israel, when God's people are trying to put their lives and their community and their culture back together. And as we were outlining uh, and working through her sermon, you know, we talked about the fact that there's kind of three different experiences in the sermon. There's the setting like where what she talked about today, where Moses is talking to the people about to go into the promised land, and then there's that original audience, which was the people who had been in the promised land and who had not been faithful and so had experienced uh, the consequences of that faithlessness, which was exile. And then, of course, there's us today who live in a culture that we recognize is uh, full of injustices and has you know, systemic injustices and all that kind of stuff. And, and the question that Moses put before the people was, will you choose life or death? And I, I think the beauty of this being scripture is that uh, God is not now primarily speaking to the israelites at the edge of the promised land god is now primarily speaking to us and saying today will you choose life or death as as she was just saying there at the end will we choose to live lives that point towards justice even in the midst of an unjust society and so uh as we've talked about a lot through the series i know that's a big question i know it's a hard question Uh, And it's one that doesn't have simple, easy answers. It's why we ask it over and over, why we take it into our C groups, and why we just continue to keep it before us. Uh, And so it's one that I want us to ask as we come to the table today. What does it look like for us to turn to God, to choose life, to say no to injustice? Um, And again, we don't ask that expecting there to be an easy answer that falls out of the heavens. It's something that we wrestle with. And so we come to the table today not to give the right answer to earn our seat but rather to, to ask the questions that align us with who God is and how God is present to our world. Uh, we come to the table really today for the grace to, to have the courage to ask that question and for the courage to act on some of the answers that, that the Spirit might show us. You do not have to be a member of Catalyst to receive communion with us because this is not Catalyst's table, this is God's table. And God has set a seat for each of us. The only thing that is required for us to qualify to sit at this table with Jesus is that we would, uh, that we would approach. Uh, we only have to say yes, and, and that, that is all the qualification that Jesus requires. So before we receive communion today, I'm going to lead us in a prayer of examine that flows out of Sonia's message. I'm going to ask us to consider in a spirit of prayer with the Holy Spirit uh, how we are aligned with God's work in the world and where there might be some opportunity for us to turn away from the ways of death and to choose life. Uh, And then I'll pray for all of us together, and then we'll receive communion together. So here's the first question I want you to consider. Where am I aligned with God's work in the world? Now, uh, where am I aligned with values that are actually anti Jesus? Finally, how is God inviting me to choose life this week? pray together. God, you have gathered us today that we might hear the words that your prophet Moses spoke to your people on the cusp of a great new adventure for them. One that would require perhaps more faith than they had ever exhibited in the wilderness uh, because it meant a monumental change for them. In fact, it was it was such a profound moment that Hundreds of years later, when your people had experienced devastation and exile, they looked back to that moment that echoed through the ages, like the refrain of a favorite song. That they could cling to and say, because you are good and because you are faithful and because you are loving, it's never too late to choose life. And so we confess today that we live in a culture that is opposed to your life-giving way in so many different ways. There are so many ways that we are formed for injustice, for exploitation, for oppression. So many ways that we are taught to marginalize and to ignore and to trot upon We confess that it is often difficult for us to discern even between the ways of life and death, that those can get jumbled and confused because of the different songs being sung by our culture. And so we come to your table again today to hear that old, old story sung to us yet again. As we receive these elements, we pray that they would be a spiritual food for us, that in receiving them we would hear so clearly your voice and your song telling us what is life, inviting us to choose that yet again, to be today a people who rejects the ways of death in our world and who chooses life uh, even when it is costly because it is the, the only way to true flourishing that you created us for. We offer these prayers now and we approach your table all in the name of your son, Jesus. The night Jesus was betrayed, this was the meal that he shared with his disciples it was during that meal that he took bread and broke it and gave it to them and said, this is my body broken for you, take it and eat it. And when the meal was finished, he gave them a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins, take it and drink it. And so now we too eat and drink. And as we do, we remember Jesus' death until he returns. It seemed like a very drum-heavy morning. Was that, a, was that all on purpose? I'm not complaining, that was great. I, just, I was just curious. <laughs> good job back there. (laughs) That's John, folks that don't know. We keep him in a cage, but he's a good guy. Uh, Friends, as you're going this morning, I want to say thank you uh, to all of you who are continuing to give here at Catalyst. So We really appreciate you continuing to Uh, make it possible for us to to hold this space week after week for uh, worshiping together, both in person and virtually. Uh, Thank you, of course, also to all of our volunteers who uh, also make this space possible for us. Uh, We're really, really just unendingly grateful for your faithfulness in in those ways. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, As you're going, I want to remind you about uh, Ash Wednesday because it is the beginning of Lent, and uh, one of the most common practices uh, that we do during Lent is a Lenten fast. So, uh, if you've done them before, you probably you probably know the drill, right? But if you haven't, I would just like you to consider making that a part of your spiritual journey towards the cross this year. Uh, uh, for a Lenten fast, it is a 40-day fast. Uh, if you count the days between Ash Wednesday and Good Fr- or, and Good Fr- or Easter Sunday, rather, they're actually 46 days. Okay, that's because we don't fast on Sundays. Sundays are considered a feast day or a mini Easter. So, you know, if you give up caffeine, you can have coffee on Sundays. That's and if you think, ooh, yeah, that's how you're supposed to feel, right? Because you're coming to worship Jesus. So it's, it's a nice little, like, extra, like, niceness, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good sort of a thing, as long as you're drinking good coffee. Um, <clears throat> uh, so typically for a Lenten fast, you give up something that's meaningful to you. So that you're, traditionally, people have given up meat, uh, you can also, you know, choose to fast a certain meal every day, or choose to fast a day of the week, or a couple of days of the week, or whatever. Uh, but you can also give up some other kind of a practice. Like some people have given up social media, or I had a friend one time who gave up sleeping in, and you know, gave up his snooze button for Lent. Uh, whatever it is, you're supposed to give up something meaningful uh, as a way to participate in Jesus's sacrifice. And it's meant to be something that, uh, when you take it away, it gives you more space to be connected to the world and, and oriented towards the world. So, you know, if you fast, let's say, you know, you fast on Wednesdays or something like that, then you're supposed to ask during those meal times on Wednesdays, how can you be, you know, in prayer for people in the world? Or how can you be using that time to be in solidarity with some other people in, in your community or something like that, right? If you give up your snooze button, what are you doing with that 10 to 40 extra minutes that you have employed your snooze button typically, uh, right? What what, what kind of, what are you adding to your day as a way to live more justly and live in solidarity with, with those who are marginalized? Um, so again, I'm telling you all of this because we still have 10 days before Lent starts, and if you've never done this before, or if, if you haven't really been thinking about it yet, now is a good time to begin preparing, asking that question with those in your household or maybe in your C group. Uh, or it's, of course, something you can just be in prayer privately about. I do know there are plenty of people who really don't like to share what they're doing for Lent because they find it something deeply personal. That's great. Uh, there's not like a wrong way to do Lent, really, right? It's, it's all about uh, choosing spiritual practices that orient us and connect us to Jesus. And I think particularly in this season where we've been asking some big difficult questions during Epiphany, having a spiritual practice that can orient us towards choosing life, like Sonia invited us to this morning, is even more important. And so I want to encourage you again to make plans to join us on Ash Wednesday, which is February 22nd. It's uh, like 10 days from now. And then uh, to be excited about and thinking about preparing for Lent. In fact, next Sunday, our, our last Sunday of Epiphany, that's what we're going to be talking about is how we prepare to set off on the journey that we're going to take together during Lent. So um, with all of that in mind, I want to invite you to stand with me as I dismiss us with a blessing today. Uh, Catalyst, as you're going today, the same, uh, the same offer, the same challenge that, is, that was before God's people as they were about to enter the promised land is before us today. God is constantly standing before us saying, Uh, the choice before you is life or death, prosperity or destruction. And God is always, always, always inviting us to choose life. And not just inviting us to choose life, but giving us God's own Holy Spirit to empower us to choose life. Um, God has a very clear stakes in this life and God has a very clear choice that God is inviting us to make, that God created us to make. So would you go uh, looking for how you can choose life this week and knowing that God's own spirit is going alongside you, inviting you and empowering you to choose life. Go in the grace and peace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and we will see you next week.